Okay. I feel <laughs> like I've done this before, but I think I need to do it again, Richard. I am sorry. Thank you. That I did this to you. I, I don't real like what right. even are these two episodes of Star Trek Voyager? Rise wasn't the worst one, but Harry Kim's Adventures on Sex Planet is it, 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 woof is all I can say. <laughs> and not in the fun gay way that I do, you know, when there's a hot dude, but in the like woof. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a woofer. I don't enjoy woofing. I don't do that. I, um, I, I, I can't pull it off, but I like getting – we are doing that thing where we talk about anything but the episode. We are already it's very starting nice, It's very it. nice today. The sun is out. Uh, no. Rise is not terrible. You are right. It is extremely competently done, I think. It's a fine, action-y episode, which is relatively true to the characters and – it's two characters I like. You know, Neelix is someone I'm fond of, and Tuvok is the best Star Trek character in the franchise. Um, if we don't quite have a if the if if they haven't characterized the secondary characters enough to make the mystery have any teeth, well, I mean, I guess maybe that's maybe the, maybe that's the problem. They don't characterize the secondary characters well enough for the mystery to have any teeth. And I guess that's probably the big problem with it. Well, I don't know, though. I mean, I, I kind of agree with that and I kind of disagree with it because I, I don't necessarily know why we would need them to be characterized. I think that like... Well, because you have... I mean, it's a mystery. You have to... If... I mean, my thought for a mystery to succeed is you have a bunch of characters. Everybody has their own motive. Anybody could have done it. And... It's a question of, well, who is really lying this entire time? Whose face that we've seen is false? And if we don't really have a clear picture of their faces, it's not going to be as big of a shock when it's the one guy who is, I mean, yes, and it turns out to be the one guy who does have any characterization. Oh, I'm afraid of everything. I was lying. I'm evil. So. Yeah, I guess that's really the difference between how I approach this episode and how you do, because I don't really see this as a mystery episode. I, I certainly understand why yeah. you see it as a mystery episode, and I, I think it it is even a mystery episode. I just don't engage with it on that level, I guess, because, well, maybe I'm trying to protect myself because the mystery is not very interesting. Really, I look at this as a as a Tuvok and Neelix story, yeah. and, and the, the slow evolution of these two characters— uh, into a gay relationship. No, uh, I'm, I'm projecting now. I <laughs> We've already been projecting with Kim in Paris, so I mean, you know, how many how many ships can we sail in this? Janeway I, and Bellana and Kess? Oh. I'd be fine with that, sure. I don't know, is that a sop to the straight guys in the audience? I mean, I assume so, but... I don't know, know. I'm then... gay and they're all so pretty, so who cares? And then Chakotay is left out. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> He's just in the corner furiously masturbating. Okay. <laughs> I don't we know really I don't want to like... talk about this episode. Okay. No, we don't. No, we don't. <laughs> I, I don't know how I feel about this episode. I, I, Tuvok and Neelix are fine in it. I think that the mystery of what is going on is, is perfunctorily done, but it's fine. Uh, it, it's a little... I don't know. There's just something about it that just it doesn't really come together very well like there's nothing wrong with it necessarily and you know certainly this is not a standout episode i don't think that this is going to make anyone's top 10 lists or even top 50 lists 
it's just kind of there. And, you know, for a television show, I mean, we've talked a lot about Voyager and how it sort of gets, I think, an unfair reputation for not developing its characters, at least in the first few seasons of the show. I don't think that's true. I, I, I think that we have a pretty good sense of at least who some of these characters are, if not all of them. At least who and, Tuvok and Neelix are. Yeah. And, and you know, Tuvok is sort of a stick in the mud and, and Neelix is a freewheeling whatever he is. And Talaxian. Those, Talaxian. And those two characters are, are, are never going to... Uh, get along very well because they have very different personalities. But I don't know. But, I guess where I want to start with this is do you think the conception of Tuvok as a person who does not understand that Vulcans have a very particular psychological profile and a very particular psychological makeup and that he cannot engage with everyone else on Voyager as a Vulcan because they're not Vulcans. Is that, I mean, because this episode portrays Tuvok and this is something that has happened before on the show as, as a stick in the mud, as someone who is very, very rigid. I mean, I think this goes back to uh learning curve from, from the end of the first season where he's training the Maquis officers. Uh, he seemed to have learned some sort of lesson in that episode, but, but not enough. I think, you know, I'm trying to read Tuvok as somebody, I don't know, this is slowly coming to the front. I'm reading Tuvok as somebody who is scared shitless and out of his depth and everything. I mean, we we talked at one point, why isn't Tuvok the first officer? You know, he's just head of security. He's good at that. And there were symbolic reasons in hiring Chakotay for that role, but... What if Tuvok really isn't as good at his job and he kind of knows that, but he is using his logic and his rigidity in order to just fucking cope with everything? I mean, I almost want, I mean, here we see him in a very dangerous situation in where a bunch of people's lives depend on him, in which he's, you know, his own life is very dependent on his actions. And so I think in these moments, he goes closer to being by the book and by logic just because that's the you know logic has usually gotten him through most things and he's going to try to do that and he doesn't really understand when logic doesn't work he does you know working on the morale of everybody as Tuvok as Neelix does in this episode which turns out to be one of the keys for how they are able to get out of this situation it is only the fact that they are able to trust and work together a little bit that they're able to survive um I think these are things that Tuvok is not good at, and he's a little ashamed to not be good at them. I think that's, yeah, I mean, but part of that is true, I certainly think. And I don't know, though, because Tuvok as a Vulcan who who isn't, like, it would be logical to say that you're not good at everything, right? And yeah. that, I don't know. I mean, Tuvok is a very, very weird character. I mean... I think back to the revelation of his backstory in Flashback, where he was in Starfleet in the late 23rd century as a science officer. Oh, is that canon? I guess (laughs) it is. It happened. So I guess we have to assume it is. Uh, You know, left Starfleet, came back years later as a tactical officer. and, And this is really where his talents lie. Yeah, you're right. Like he's not a guy who I mean, in a certain sense Tuvok is a, is a is a cop who who engages yeah. with everyone as a cop. And that doesn't work. And certainly that doesn't work with Neelix. You know, Neelix is obviously overplaying his hand in this episode and he is 
you know, he, he, he lied about having experience with these maglev carriages. I mean, he, he did not. He built models, which is fine and fun. And I'm sure Neelix really enjoyed that as a, as a small child and even as an adult. But that does not, you know, really uh, prepare you for uh, uh, yeah, really yeah, driving yeah. one, although he seems to do a fine job. That, you know, it, it, it really does come down to a personality difference on their parts, but it, it's almost like a facile thing. I mean... I don't know. I guess part of my problem with this episode is that we've seen this before and, and, and we've seen almost this exact episode before. You and... know what episode we've seen this before in? The one with Odo and uh, Quark on the mountain. Yes, which happened after this episode. So, OK, I'll give I'll give, you know, give points to Voyager for that. OK, but... fair enough. I guess I feel like I mean, having Neelix and Tuvok in a situation in which Ever since Janeway gave uh, Neelix this "quote unquote" ambassadorship on um, that, what was that episode called with the uh, viruses, Macrocosm? Yeah. Ever since that moment, I mean, in the very next episode, Tuvok is you know complaining to Neelix, "Well, that's not an official title, and I don't know if you can really handle that." And you know, you're just Neelix, and there needed to be a moment in which there was a mission with Tuvok and Neelix, where Neelix was the one who is able to, where it's Neelix's skill set, which get them through and which Tuvok can't. And where Tuvok eventually realizes that, yes, no, there are moments in which, you know, Neelix is competent. He may not be competent in the same way. Neelix would probably be a horrible tactical officer and that's fine because he's not going to be a tactical officer. He's dealing with morale. He is dealing with interpersonal conflicts. Dealing with, in this episode, a little bit of mechanical stuff that he happens to maybe overstate his case on his abilities, but, there again, there needs to be a moment in which Neelix is able to prove himself uh, 100% unqualified to, uh, to, to Tuvok, and this is that episode, right? Uh, I don't, I, I'm hoping from now on... Tuvok begins to respect Neelix a little bit more. I don't know, but is this the best episode and is this the best way that they could have done that? And maybe that's not the case. I mean, yes and no. I mean, certainly I think that that this is that opportunity for Neelix, as you say. And and I also think that this episode, you know, for, for as sort of perfunctory and by the numbers as the mystery is... It, it does provide Tuvok with an opportunity to to do what he does best, which is to sort of be like a detective yeah. and a tactical guy, right? I mean, this is how his mind works. This is something that we've seen uh, going back all the way to the first season with an episode like Ex Post Facto, for instance, um, where, where Tom Paris w- was accused of a murder he did not commit yeah. and Tuvok had to figure this out. Uh, I, I think that that was probably a better episode than Rise. I don't know that I have enough context for... Tuvok to in, in terms of the plot for me to really be invested in any of this and I think that's part of the problem like the episode tries to make Neelix and Tuvok invested in this situation because they are they're on the same maglev carriage that all of these other characters are and they all will die together yeah. or they will survive together uh, but it's it's I don't know it's not suspenseful because you know that there's no way that the maglev carriage is actually going to fail because that would mean Tuvok and Neelix would be dead and so you know and then it tries to uh, uh, you know heighten the tension by having someone murder uh, the scientist and and these kind of things oh well people are in danger even though the maglev carriage will make it and everything will be fine but it just feels like the the show is using 
sort of very sort of hoary cliches to to get at this kind of heightened tension. And I don't I don't know what we get with having these other characters in that carriage. Like I almost feel like the episode may have been stronger if it had just been Neelix and Tuvok in there and they had to you know, spar and fight with each other and, you know, Tuvok could be dismissive and, and, and sarcastic to, to Neelix and Neelix could be heard and, and you know, he does he does that sort of like open eyed uh, uh pain very nicely. I don't know. It doesn't. I don't know what the other characters there really do, and the mystery of what's going on is sort of perfunctory. Like, do we care necessarily what's happening to these random aliens of the week? Not really. And the the episode doesn't tie them into anything that's going on, so it kind of fails on that level. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's another, and it's another episode which ends with. Uh, I mean, this could have been a reveal of another big bad. You have the Italian Order, who is you know getting on. Who is attacking all the Italian or <laughs> who is attacking all of these different planets? And that could have been a fine antagonist for them to be dealing with for the next while, because, again, uh, they're an anti-Federation, right? Instead of the Federation making bonds of friendship and fellowship with these different cultures, uh, this group is uh, attacking and subsuming them. Uh, but again, I pro- we will probably never hear of them again, because, again, the Borg are on the way. But also, like, their plan is dumb. Yeah. Like, I think that's part of it, too. Like, they make asteroids with, like, weapon. What? And they and then they, like, they, they engineer, like, fake natural disasters to drive other species off their planet. And they would just, like, abandon their entire planet and they move. Like, what? No, like, I, I but I mean, that's exactly what the conservatives are co- telling the liberals are doing with all these hurricanes and stuff. So it's not really that ridiculous if you think about it. I guess not. I just, I don't, fundamentally, like, it doesn't make any sense. And there seem to be no shortage of M-class planets for people to move to in the Star Trek universe. So I'm not really sure why the Cetarian Order would would have to go around engineering fake natural disasters to, to get these people off the planet. And, you know, other, you know, fundamentally as well, like, the mystery is viewed as this sort of like, oh, my God, this has... Uh, uh, you know, guidance systems in the in the asteroid. These are not real asteroids. These are weapons and blah, blah, blah. And here we go. And here's the ship. And now it's coming and we're in battle. And it's just none of it. It doesn't really give a, a sense of like who they are. We don't really get a sense of who these Nisei are. We don't really get a sense of, of what's going on, what this planet is like. I mean, why is the woman there? Like there's no reason for her to be there yeah the impl- I, I don't it, i mean it was a case where she just happened to be in the area and took shelter in this place because it was the closest and you know just coincidence and we needed another character um i mean it's but, just but i do like just... the scene when they first meet her and i mean this is one of the it is a good moment for neelix to demonstrate his value because he is the one who diffuses the situation she quite understandably sees people go going into her shelter and immediately thinks that you know, they're going to hurt her. They're going to steal her shit. And, you know, Neelix is the one who is able to convince her that, no, we're all going to get out of this place. You know, just trust us. And, you know, he is able to get her that in a way that Tuvok never would have been able to. Tuvok would have appealed to her logic in that way. Uh, and at the height of emotion that she was at when she first meets them, it would not have gone well. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I I think that scene is is well done. But, but, that, but to but what end? Like she's the, the she's inter- a, not a character. She's a plot device. And maybe that's well, it. right. They're the, not characters. The, the, they're plot devices. Well, right. The the introduction of that character and that character serves no real purpose in the episode. I mean, 
I don't like to go down a road of fixing episodes, but but in this case, I will because I I I, I am a contradiction. That I don't know. It just feels to me like she's there to have Neelix open up and tell this nice story about his sister and and how she would be proud of him. And at the end of the episode, uh, this character goes to Neelix and says she thinks his sister would be proud of yeah. her, or she would be proud of him. And and all those kinds of things, but but that could have been accomplished through Tuvok as well. And I think that almost might have been a better episode if Tuvok and Neelix had been the ones to have to go through this very very harrowing and and stressful experience together and come out on the other side of it, not friends, you know, but but sort of having an understanding of of who they are and and Tuvok finally gaining a grudging respect for Neelix as it is. Yeah, and uh, Tuvok Tuvok does gain a grudging respect for Neelix, but but it feels very shallow to me. Yeah, I mean Tuvok is. Very- very capable of understand. I mean, for two, two. I do think that would be in Tuvok's character to say, you know, Alexia would have been very proud of you. You know, you did well by her because he is somebody who values his own family and understands that. Um, and I mean, the episode needs to get us to a point where, and that it doesn't quite do. The episode needs to get us to a point where Tuvok and Neelix realize that they do very much complement each other. Tuvok has the uh, discipline and the logic and the tactical knowledge that Neelix just simply doesn't have. Neelix has the ability to just go into a place and make himself at home and be friends with everybody and have everybody liking him. He's able to get the morale and he's able to very much think outside the box and get a wacky solution that might help in this case that Tuvok never would have thought of. And... I mean, I, I hope that eventually the relationship might develop in that direction because it does seem like they do have a lot to offer each other. The two of them working together would do very well. Yeah, I mean, I would like to see their relationship develop into, you know, more of a sort of a grudging friendship. And, yeah. and I, I don't I mean, I don't want to give spoilers, but I don't think that ever really happens. I, I don't. You know, and and so for me, it just comes down to this is a this is a road on a journey that that doesn't really have a satisfactory ending, and maybe that's yeah. okay. Like maybe we don't get closure in life sometimes, and that's all right. But I don't know. That's kind of a weird thing for a Star Trek show to be doing as well. Yeah, because they don't. I mean, in no way do they have to be best friends. They don't have to hang out during their off hours. But the two of them could be a very great partnership together, and. I think they don't necessarily ever realize that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I have a little fan theory that Talaxian names all have the letter X in them because so far every Talaxian name we've heard has had the letter X in it. It might not be the letter X. It might be the letter S, as I just learned in French, is pronounced Hmm. like a Z. But it's not French. It's Talaxian. That is very, very close-minded of you. I wonder... If a lot of Tuvok's lack of respect for Neelix has to do with the fact that, do you remember what Neelix was doing when Tuvok first met him? He was taking a big old bubble bath. So I can get why maybe Neelix, maybe Tuvok would not have the highest opinion. Maybe Tuvok's disgust at Neelix's presence (gasps) has everything to do with Tuvok body shaming Neelix. Or maybe... He liked what he saw and can't deal with that. I like this theory, too. <laughs> I like it better than the episode, and I, li- I like it a lot better than Favorite Son. Well, let's move on to Favorite Son. But before we do that, as usual, I, I just want to take a quick opportunity to remind you all, the loyal listeners of Truck About, that this podcast and our other podcasts tuning in are listener-supported. 
we have costs associated with this show right now. We have a Patreon. Patreon.com slash truckaboutshow is where you can go to provide a little bit of monetary support for our podcasting endeavors. It's a very exciting month because if you give us $5 a month or more, you will get access to all of our patron specials. We have 24 of them now, which is crazy. We've been doing them for two years. And the one this month is a special holiday patron special where we answer listener questions about our lives about the podcast, about our process, about all kinds of things. It would be a great opportunity for you to listen to the patron special and find all of the other ones as well. So please do go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow and give now. All right, let's talk about Favorite Son, which is terrible. The end next week we are talking. We have to talk about this, don't we? Okay, so did they make this episode after Harry Kim's actor was named like one of the most beautiful people in TV or whatever you're telling me about? Like this seems like a reaction to that in some ways. It also I don't seems like think so. It also seemed like they watched the man trap and said, "How can we do that?" And also, it also reminds me of that scene in Monty Python and the Holy Grail when they go to the castle of all the virgins from the ages 16 to 21 or whatever. Yeah, sure. This, I, I, which is why I this just, episode sucks. <laughs> yes, because Monty Python is terrible. <laughs> Please do not write us letters. I do not want to hear uh. them. No, I, um, I think this episode is objectively terrible, but I'm sort of flabbergasted at why it's there like it's not like it's not bad to watch on the level of a lot of other bad episodes of star trek that we've watched um but i just don't get it i don't know what they're doing i don't know what they're trying to do i don't know what they're trying to say Mm. i can't figure out if it's sexist or not i don't know to what degree we are supposed to take any of this seriously. I just don't, I don't know. It's so tonally weird and off and doesn't make any sense. And I just, I don't get it. I just really don't get it. Okay. So let me ask you a first question. So they mentioned at some point Kim was infected by this virus or whatever that caused him to, you know, alien up or whatever. Um, Correct. Did we see that episode where he got infected? Was that I I, I I thought they mentioned when it happened and no. So this is just a yeah. So so it isn't even plotted well. Um, well, so I I will I will defend it a little bit. This is not something that I picked up on because they're they're often looking for made up medals of the week, and I don't really care what they are but they do say that he was infected when they were looking for for some mineral or or some element and uh, they actually were looking for that element a couple weeks ago so So maybe they there was a good on them if we rewatched that episode i wonder if they would have seeded this episode in um as you say what is the point of this um one of the things we talked about when we did a couple episodes on clerks was there was a moment um it's in uh you know caitlin brie having sex with a dead guy and we said I, I think I said something like this would come off as misogynistic if it had been better thought of. I think it's just <laughs> him coming with a weird, gross out thing and not really thinking out the implications. And so it doesn't come off as, you know, it doesn't come off like she's being punished for sex in that episode. I don't think this episode is saying that, you know, all women are going to suck the life out of you with their sex juices because I don't think they thought that far ahead. I think they just. This is an episode that was written with somebody's dick in a way. And, you know, okay, well, now we have to turn it into a horror piece. 
Right. Like, I don't I don't know to what degree. I mean, sexuality as a weapon is something that is traditionally viewed as a very, very sort of sexist idea about how women engage with with their own sexuality. And this episode doubles down on that to a large degree. I mean, I am not a woman. You are not a woman. So I don't know if we are qualified to speak to uh, women's sexuality issues, especially since neither of us sleep with women. Um, so, you know, I that is probably all I will say about that. And if you are a woman and would like to uh, you know, give us some more context for that or your thoughts on this episode, please do. Um, but I don't, I mean, I look at it like Harry Kim, this is a Harry Kim episode. There are things happening to Harry Kim. And I think that's part of the reason why the episode doesn't work is that yeah. Harry Kim isn't doing anything in this episode until the very end when he discovers that he is going to be murdered by, as you say, the women sucking the sex juices out of him. And so it just really comes across as uh, an episode where where no one is doing anything and, and the plot is just sort of happening to these characters and that none of them have anything to do with anything that is going on. I mean, even the doctor initially does kind of a half-ass job, frankly, yeah. at figuring out what happened to Harry Kim. And then when the episode decides that they need to tell the audience that this is not actually what's happening suddenly the doctor has woken up and and done his job properly and then he realizes that this was not actually a, a dna that was sort of in his uh system for the entirety of his life but was a virus so the the plot elements of this are both sort of very very engineered and you can see them very very clearly and also not interesting because none of our characters really have anything to do with anything that's happening and we also don't Harry Kim is not a sexual character. I mean, he's in a way saved by his virginalness in this. Uh, the fact that he is not a pleasure seeker. Um, I almost wonder, again, fixing an episode, but let's cast Tom Paris as the one who is going through the situation. Somebody who initially would think, hey, druggy sex planet, this is going to be a fun time, and, and realizes the dark side. That would have been a very blunt and obvious metaphor for STDs and how, you know, you can't just enjoy, which would have been stupid, but at least it would have been about something. Right. Yeah. That, that's fundamentally what it comes down to is like favorite son is not about anything. You know, it, it it's a, it's a raunchy sex comedy that is yeah. not a raunchy sex comedy because it's a family friendly Star Trek show that was airing at eight o'clock on Wednesdays. So, I mean, it, it's funny because, <laughs> Um, Garrett Wong said that he thought that the women in this episode were matronly and that they huh. needed to be sexier for this to work. Again, I am not a straight man. I don't really have any opinion about the sexual desirability of any of these women in this episode. I'm assuming you do not either. Um, I mean, me if I'm wrong, I think they're all pretty. Even the even the older one is, you know, I wouldn't call her matronly. <laughs> I mean, in a, in, a, in a strange sense, I guess there is a sort of like brothel feel to this episode where you know harry kim and, and the other guy whose name i don't think i wrote down uh Taman, i think his name was um are you know being fawned on by all these women in very very aggressive ways uh you can almost see them sort of you know we can go upstairs and have a good time yeah. you know for only five hundred dollars you know whatever it is um and i i kind of feel like that could be a commentary on the ways in which if this had if this episode had been more self-aware or had been better thought out like i think you could make this episode about the the real struggles of women who engage in sex work 
But then again, I don't think that would be good for this show to do. I have no yeah. confidence that this show could do that well. And in no way is uh, – and I don't really think that what they do is sex work in any way. I mean this is their no. – they're doing this for reproduction and one assumes a bit of pleasure too. It's not like they are you know, getting any compensation other than the perpetuation of their own species, which whatever. But um, And it's so convoluted too. Yeah. Like – that's part of it as well. Like they have this like elaborate cover story for how this is happening, which is frankly unbelievable. Uh, but everybody sort of just you know that's the other part of it is like everyone's like yeah okay that that makes sense sure uh, fine whatever um, yeah can, and then can't they just say here's a sex planet with a lot of beautiful women you will get people to come to that whether or not they think they genetically right. belong there or not you know you don't you don't need to have this elaborate cover story where you're like sending out ships with like dna to like impregnate people because you need to have other species to perpetuate this... your species like whatever like yeah just just put out a big sign and be like hey here's the sex planet if you would like to have sex and you are a man please come to the sex planet like you would get takers. Doesn't this seem like one of those things where they watched a nature documentary about how, you know, the female of the species wears an elaborate, you know, series of feathers that it finds and spins a web and then the male comes and it impregnates her and, you know, then she eats it for sustenance. Like, it seems like, and then, then whoever wrote it is like, this is a great idea for a Star Trek episode. Except that doesn't work because, like, spiders have, like, like what, like hundreds of babies and like women don't hmm. so like that that also doesn't make any sense like fundamentally speaking like on a biological level like one of the reasons why that happens in yeah in this is because like they have hundreds and thousands of, of offspring at a time and so that is a way for them to do that uh it doesn't make sense when you have a, a bipedal uh humanoid species that assumedly has one or two children um at a time yeah it, i mean it they fundamentally doesn't make any sense they seem to pre- reproduce by having the one male impregnate, what is it, six women at a time? So you've got a good six to 12 pregnancies, you know, babies at once. And that's how they, I mean, it's, it's. It, yeah, like on a, on a conceptual, fundamental, like logical level, it doesn't make any sense. And, and, you know, moving aside from that, I, I also don't know what this tells us about Harry Kim. It tells like, us he completely forgot about Libby. Well, did he? I don't know. Uh, you would think I mean, at some point he would, you know, say, or somebody would have said, you know, what about Libby? You have a fiance back home, you know, Tom Paris, you've been avoiding, you know, going out with the Delaney sisters for like two years now, you know, because you keep saying you have a fiance back home and now you're going to go on to Sex Planet. Like, hasn't Harry Kim been like going to the Luau thing to have sex with holograms? I thought that that was established and that he was over Libby because he realized that he was never going to get back at this point. It doesn't matter. It not, or maybe we just, none of this maybe, matters, Eric. Or maybe we just forgot that non sequitur existed and that's actually not a real episode. Like Libby was constructed for that episode, but it's not <laughs> a real person. I don't know. Oh God. But yeah, I, we're sort of, I don't know. I, I, I don't really care about Harry Kim's nascent, love life with Libby so whatever like I think that it's fine and if he wants to sleep with other women that's great and I think that fundamentally what I would have liked to have seen is Harry Kim and and the other guy on the planet falling in love and having sex because you know I want to see Garrett Wang with his shirt off so there's that too but it's like the episode just takes the least interesting path at all points I think that's the perfect way to put it um and, and I mean it's 
literally one of my notes is I can't wait to see the dark side of evil sex planet because you know it's go it's so obvious that something is off here. I mean that that they're they're not even trying to hide it, I think. Yeah, they all come across as like <laughs> weirdly desperate and and like combative and just very very aggressively sexual in a way that is very off-putting. Uh I mean I think it's probably a really really bad call on the show's part to end the episode with kim telling neelix the story of the sirens like i don't get what that tells us at all i mean it's 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 like the closest myth you can but it's like only about there there's like the tiniest bit of overlap in that but there is who is odysseus in this harry kim who did nothing to prevent i mean it's not like he did anything to prevent himself from being taken by the siren's call (laughs) i mean we do we do have that nice scene at the very end between harry kim and tom paris where they basically say i like to be like you no i like to be like you and we try and be better people by being like each other and we're actually in love and we should have sex and get married you know like i i guess what it really comes down to is that i think that harry kim has more chemistry with any male member of the show than he does with women and they should have just leaned into that and made harry kim a gay now it's another time when we're watching the show and we're like this is 20 years old right like like this is that is true too yeah like i said i compared this to the man trap in a lot of ways which you know that comes off now or mud's women they both come off as this weird 60s kitsch and this seems like a dated throwback to that so it's like double dated which i guess in a certain sense makes sense because Voyager was hearkening back to that sort of TOS action adventure thing where maybe it's not the deepest show, but it's just entertaining and fun. But this episode is not entertaining and it's not fun. And it still has that sort of ponderous 90s Star Trek feel to it that, you know, Star Trek of this era just does not do sexuality very well. It it doesn't really engage with these ideas in a adult way. And it fundamentally is not interested in telling any sort of story that has a point to this. There's there's no there's no point to this episode. You know, it's like we don't learn anything about Harry Kim. We don't learn anything about Tom Paris. We don't learn anything about this alien species. The most we get is that they have this sort of reputation amongst other alien species that will fire on their ships on site or anybody that has a Teresian on board because of reasons. Yeah, and, um, and oh, oh my God, I completely forgot about that guy, but why doesn't he say, listen, every time somebody goes to that ship, they never, we think there's something really off about this. Here, I'll send you our data files on them. You know, wh- why don't they? Why? Right. It, it, he's mistrustful because there would be no plot. Right, yeah, it's it's it, that's exactly what it is. It's another example of Voyager keeping information back from from the characters because otherwise there would be no plot. Yeah, and again, we've seen Voyager do throwbacks to kind of some of the ways that stories were told in the original series. I mean, the thing that jumps to mind is Sarah Silverman as kind of an update on the Edith Keeler kind of character. She is very similar, but in a way which takes that essence. Here is somebody who is from the past, but is forward thinking enough that would do, you know, is we are seeing where the Federation comes. 
but one which is taking certain values which have happened in the 90s, girl power kind of things, and updating that for that. I can see taking the original series view of female sexuality as occasionally a very dangerous thing and one which can be used as a weapon, but then ta- but then saying this is 1995, you know, it's not 1968, so, you know, we have to change that a little bit. Right, because, yeah, I think fundamentally what it comes down to at, at the end of the day is that this is an episode that is steeped in you know, a sort of patriarchal view of, of sexuality and male sexuality and female sexuality. And it's just not something that really plays well 20 years later. It it doesn't come across. I don't even know if this really played well in 1996 yeah. I, or 1997. I would have been surprised if it had. I mean, I was not watching Voyager at this point. <laughs> so I don't know if it would have played well in 1997. Probably not. Um, yeah, it's just I mean not... in a world where Buffy was about to happen, I don't know. <laughs> well, Buffy is apparently problematic now. Well, so. no, Joss Whedon is problematic. Yes, Joss Whedon is problematic. That is that is true. Yeah. That's really all I think I have to say about Harry's adventures on Sex Planet. Okay. Well, the last thing I'll mention about Favorite Son is that uh and and Richard I'm sure did not pick up on this because Richard does not recognize faces ever uh is uh one of the uh sex women was patricia tallman who played um oh. one of the uh, psychics on uh lita, right? five lita, yeah it? lita yes oh yeah so there you go okay all right well i think that's all we can say about favorite son so if you have any thoughts on rise or favorite son please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com as I said earlier, you can check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. Uh, it also supports our other podcast, Tuning In. We are almost done with our X-Files break this week in two days. We are talking about In the Flesh, Series 2, Episodes 3 and 4, what will happen to the zombie apocalypse. Go to tuninginshow.com to find out. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we are there. Truckaboutshow is our username in all those places. And as always, leave us a positive iTunes review for Trek About. It is the best way for new fans to find the show. Okay, Richard, we are getting to the end of the third season of Star Trek Voyager. There are three episodes of the podcast left, six episodes of Star Trek Voyager left in this season. We are almost halfway through the Jerry Taylor era, so so hang in there. <laughs> Next week. I know, Richard. It's okay. It's okay. It'll be fine. I didn't realize it was two full seasons. I thought she just had the one. No, she had the two. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Richard. But uh, I think next week is better, so we're going to be. Talking it would have about... to be. <laughs> hey, uh, don't don't go crazy. <laughs> I don't think it could be. It could be worse. Oh no, have we? No, we haven't scraped bottom yet. I guess we haven't. Oh God. Mm, I will leave that up to, to to your imagination. All right. Well, next week we're going to be talking about before and after and real life. <laughs> <laughs>